The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Brothers and sisters, let's take our Bible, turn to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. So if you're just open up, the first book of the Bible is Genesis and then Exodus and Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter number 11. Those of you joining us for the first time today, and maybe even some of our regular members, let me remind you that we are in the middle of a series on the New City Catechism. And so um, if you have a, a smartphone and you'd like to follow along with us, you can download the New City Catechism app for free and uh, just ask somebody who has it. It's wonderful. You can see the questions right there. There's verses that go along with it and some commentary. And uh, if you have children, there's even a little uh, music component on there where you can uh, learn that through song. And I say, well, that's not for me. I want to remind you that there are um, written copies in the back, all right? And so on your way out today, if you want to pick up one of those, follow along with us uh, each week as we expound the Word of God concerning these good questions. Deuteronomy chapter number 11, verse uh, 1 down through verse number 7. Would you read silently as I read God's Word out loud for us? You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commands, knowing this day that I am not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline or the instruction of the Lord your God, His greatness, His mighty hand, and His outstretched arm, and His signs and His works which He did in the midst of Egypt, uh, to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all of his land. And what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and to its chariots, when he made, them to, uh, made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you. And the Lord completely destroyed them. And what he did to you in the wilderness until you came until this place. And what he did to Dathan and to Abram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuben, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord, which he did. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, we come to you and thank you for beautiful music today. Thank you for our Bible study hour. Where we're able to study your word and uh, and, and fellowship with each other. We thank you for the opportunity to give and to pray. And now, Lord, to open your word. And I pray that you would um, show us how to be more Christ-like in our lives today. Uh, help us to understand how we might glorify you better. Lord, I pray for every believer in this room that their focus and attention would not be somewhere else, would be upon your word, upon your glory, and about being conformed to Christ. I pray for those that are with us today, member and visitor alike, who may not know you as Lord and Savior. I pray that this would be the good, glad day in their life, that they laid down their weapons of warfare and humbled themselves and bowed before the mighty hand of God and received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Father, we pray for those that are away from you, that you would draw them back. 
We pray for those who are discouraged and hurting and weak and sick. We pray that you would grant healing, mercy, and grace for all of our hearts today. We lift you up. We thank you. We pray these things in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the love of God the Father and in the fellowship of the sweet spirit of the Lord. For it is in your name we do pray. Amen. Remember a few years ago, I was uh, taking an entrance exam uh, to get into a program. And I, I remember one of the questions on there, I looked at it and I, at first glance I thought, oh, this is a simple question. It asked a question and then the longer that I read, it was one question with about 27 different parts. And the farther I read in it, the deeper I got, and it was supposed to be a simple question to answer, but it became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And ladies and gentlemen, today the question is simple for us, and yet we could just go on and on and on. And so I don't want to do that today. I want to bring you a simple message with a simple truth that would help us to answer. So here's the question today from the Catechism. How can we glorify God? How can we glorify Glorify God. Both of the commentators from uh, this week, if you're following along for us, they had a lot of good things to say about the glory of God. In fact, they said very similar things, but one of them was able to say it in a paragraph while the other one waxed eloquent for page after page after page. Not that it wasn't good stuff, but they didn't get quite to the point. And so the question this week is, how can we glorify the Lord? And here's the answer. We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, by His commands and His law. Now, I would say that we could simplify that even further from the Catechism. Look back at chapter number 11 and verse number 1. Deuteronomy 11.1 1 simplifies it even more, saying this, that we glorify God by loving Him and obeying His Word. Look back there again. You shall therefore love the Lord your God and always keep His charge, His statutes, His ordinances, and His commandments. Those are simply compounded words to say, love God and keep His Word. So let me set this up for us today and just a little bit of background information and then we'll just dive right into the simple message of the text that we are to glorify the Lord by loving Him and by obeying Him. So first of all, if you're keeping notes, who is the author in this text actually speaking to? The answer is given in verse number two. He is speaking to an in-between generation. Look at what he says in verse number two. Know this day that I am not speaking with your sons, and that's a generic word, your sons or daughters. I'm not speaking with your sons and daughters who have not known and who have not seen, and you might have discipline, but really it is the instruction, the, the discipline that leads us or instruction of the Lord, your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm. He's speaking to an in-between different uh, uh, generation here. Their parents received the same message of to love and trust and obey God, and they failed to do so and they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Their children on the other end, right? So their parents heard the same message, but they died in the wilderness from their unbelief. They would not love God and be obedient to His commands. And then he looks at the far other end here and he says, look, this under generation, this younger generation, your children, they're not fully adults yet and they've not been exposed to the deliverance and the 
righteousness of God. These people had seen the good salvation of God. They had seen the wonders in the wilderness, and yet they had wandered in the wilderness themselves for 40 long years. They heard the bickering and the arguing of their parents. They heard the gossiping and all that was going along against God's man and against God's anointed. And they saw that generation die. And the children that they have, they have not seen all of the righteousness and all of the goodness of God. And so God is speaking on the authority of His Word to an in-between generation. And I would say that there are people here today in this room who have seen both the goodness and the severity of the Lord in your own homes, in your own life, and maybe even in our own church. You've seen God provide salvation and blessing, and you have lived long enough to see God's hand of correction in your own life. And I would say that we are an in-between generation. There are some in this room that you have seen the good hand of God and you have seen the judgment of the Lord and yet we have a younger generation. We We just dedicated all those babies last Sunday and we have children in children's church and so this message goes to everyone that is in this room today. We may look to the past and we may look to the future but God speaks in the present to His people and says, thus saith the Lord. And so I say on the authority of God's word today. Pay attention to what God is teaching his people. Secondly, on what grounds does he make this charge to love God and obey him? We find the answer to that in verse 4 through verse number 7 where he makes this demand on the grounds of God's past dealing with his people in covenant deliverance, in divine provision, and in righteous judgment. In verse number 2 through verse number 7, he reminds these people of the deliverance from Egypt and the bondage through the Red Sea. Then he reminds them of God's provision in the wilderness where they were fed from heaven and received water from a rock and their clothes never wore out and they were given shade by a cloud during the day and they were led and warmed by the pillar of fire at night. He also reminds them that when they rebelled against God and His appointed leader, that God calls the ground to open and swallow them up. God is both good and dangerous. Now you listen to this preacher this morning. God loves you and He is fatherly and caring and kind. But God is not your homeboy. God is not your lover. God is not your best friend. God is the supreme king of all the universe And you should bow before His mighty hand and fear Him. I'm reminded of C.S. Lewis and the Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe when they speak of Aslan, the great lion. Uh, They ask and they say, hey, is he safe? And the answer comes back and says, safe? Who said anything about him being safe? Of course he is not safe, but he's good. And he's the king. Brothers and sisters, I would say to us today, don't take your relationship with God lightly. He has salvation for us. He has provision for us. But He also brings a corrective hand into our life when we disobey Him and go against His will. He saves us. He provides for us. 
And when necessary, He brings judgment into our lives. That is the background. Now what about this? On what grounds does He make this demand in our lives today to glorify Him through love and obedience? First of all, He redeemed us from our bondage of sin, did He not? You did not deserve it. You did not earn it. You have no idea how it came about other than the fact that you saw the light of the cross of the glory of God, that Jesus died for you and rose again, and you believed on Him. He not only saves us, but He sustains us in our life. He has provided for you in every facet of your life. Even in the face of our own unbelief, God still provides for us. The amazing thing is that God saved us, not just knowing what we were prior to our salvation, but God's saved you knowing how awful you would be after he saved you. Now would you pause for a moment and just think about that. God saved you as a wicked sinner. He gave his mercy and love at the cross. And not only did he love you enough to save you, he loves you so much now even when you're not faithful to him even when it's been a long time since you've been faithful to the Lord's house, even when you don't follow His Word, even when you don't treat uh, others the way that you should, even when you do things that are against God's will, His love and mercy and kindness is still available to all who believe. God sustains us in the valley and on the mountaintop when you have good days, and at your worst, God sustains His people. Not only salvation and sustaining us in our life, but He also corrects us in righteousness for our everlasting good. The New Testament says that if God does not correct us when we sin, that we are not His children. God's correction serves to remind us that we are not our own, but that we have been bought with a price. It serves to keep us from future pain and future judgment, and it gives us the strong assurance that we belong to God. I say to you on the authority of God's Word today, if you're here, member or visitor, and you continue in a line of sin and you never experience the righteous correction of God in your life, you're lost. Because God is a loving Father. And loving fathers correct their children in righteousness and in love and appropriate to the offense. And if they don't, then they're not righteous fathers. I say to you today, if you're in this room and you're not following the Lord, not living for Him, and you never experience the conviction of the Spirit of God, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't be that way. I need to give my life back to the Lord. If there's no sense of conviction inside of you, you're not a believer. You are not a child of God. And the very best thing that you can do in your life is plead in your heart for God to have mercy on you and to save you by His good kindness. So quickly today, here's the message from the Word of God. We bring glory to God by loving Him and obeying His Word. Now isn't that easier said than done? Right? I think all of us in here say, yeah, preacher, I know. Love God, do what He says to do. 
That's how we bring glory. That's how we bring honor. That's how we extol the name of our great and marvelous God by loving Him and, be, and being enraptured in, in all that He is and by following in Him and doing what He says to do. But I would say to you that it's much harder to do than it is to say. But notice this from the text. Notice the unity of the command from verse number 1. This love and obedience, they, they come together as if they were joined at the hip. Let me give you some other scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse number 12. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, there it is again, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. What about Deuteronomy 19 and verse number 9? If you carefully observe all the commandments which I command you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in all His ways, then you shall have three more of the cities for yourself besides these. What about the New Testament? Jesus says this in the New Testament, John 14 and verse number 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Five verses later in verse number 21, he says this, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. My dear friends, I tell you today that they come to us united together, that we both love God and we are obedient to his commands. Please hear me today. My voice is struggling, and so I need you to pay close attention to this thought. You cannot love God without obeying His revealed will in Scripture. And likewise, obedience without love for the Lord is not obedience at all, but it is stale, legalistic ritual. Now pause and just teach you for a moment. If you say that you love God and the Lord Jesus and you are not actively seeking to follow the commands of the Bible every day of your life in the power of the Holy Spirit, you do not love God. You can sing about it. You can hum about it. You can read about it. You can say whatever you want. But if there is not obedience to go along with the words of love, then you really don't love God. And likewise, let me turn that around and say this truth as well. If you find yourself on the other end where you just are hunkering down and all you want to do is just do all of the commands and most of those outwardly, you find yourself as a Pharisee or a Sadducee and you're trying to dot all of your I's and cross all of your T's and you're doing all of that, but it's not fueled and pushed out and the impetus behind that is not an adoration and a love and an appreciation for what God has done for you through Christ Jesus on the cross and through His resurrection. If there is not an emotion desire to love God through obedience, then all it is is legalistic ritual. And you're as good as a Pharisee. They come to us together. Love God. Follow His commands. Simple sermon. Love the Lord. 
follow His commands. Not only are they in unity together, but let me say this. Look with me, if you will, at the rest of this in verse number 1. Notice the command is directed to you. You see the very first word of the sentence here. The word for you in verse number 1 is a second person singular instead of the plural. Most of the time this takes place in the plural so that we understand that we're speaking to the entire nation of Israel. In the New Testament, God gives many of the New Testament commands in the plural to the church so that as a church we are obeying God and following Him. But in this passage, as in other few passages, it is as if the author reaches out and grabs us by the throat and says, you can't have the option of sitting back. And that's for so-and-so. That's for that other person. That's for my Sunday school teacher. That's for my deacon. That's for her. That's for him. No, I tell you on the authority of God's Word, dear sir, God reaches out and grabs you by the throat and says, you are to love Him and obey Him. You don't get a pass. It's for you. You don't get to just be religious. I'll tell you, I, I tell you some of the stuff that burns me up. I, I'm tired of hearing somebody say, well, that's just how so-and-so is. Well, if that's just the way you are, you're a sinner. Repent and get right. Well, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're just, they're just mean like that. It's just, that's just the way they are. You just got to go on about it and just let them be mean. No, if you're mean, you're a sinner. Get right with God. If you gossip, it doesn't matter if you've been doing that for 40 years. It's sin. Get right with Jesus. If you cheat, if you lie, if you steal, whatever it is, it doesn't matter if you've been doing that for a long time or not. If that's the way you are, get right with Jesus. Because what God wants you to do is to love Him and to be obedient to the commands that He gives us in Scripture. Here's maybe a couple of thoughts about that that you might uh, turn into application. How am I growing in my love? Let me ask you that today. Would you just maybe jot that down? I, I'll only take a, couple, a few more minutes here. Listen. Have the Lord's Supper. We'll have a time of reflection. But if I were to ask you, just over a cup of coffee, how are you growing in your love and adoration of God? What would you say? I come to church? Wonderful. I read my Bible? Wonderful. I pray? Wonderful. What else? How are you growing in your life in love for the Lord? And here's a second question, maybe just diagnostically to ask yourself. Not only how am I growing in my love, where is God challenging me to obey Him better? Hey, listen, sir. Right now, in your life, we just to sit down over a cup of coffee in the office, nobody around, just, just you and me. And I just put that question in your lap and said, where in your life is God challenging you to obey Him better? What would you say? If you're sitting in the room and you really don't have any idea, then I want to encourage you to pray and start saying, Lord, would you show me where my sin is? 
If you think that you're okay and that somehow you're just kind of an average dude or an average lady and you're, you've been a Christian and you just come to church, you do your thing, this is a part of my... I tell you, that's religion. I'd be really careful for that. Listen, you're not growing as a Christian if you cannot pinpoint somewhere in your life to say, I do this and God doesn't like it and He's challenging me. He's pushing me. He's driving that dagger deep into my soul and He's saying, change, be like my son. What is it in your life that God... God is challenging you to be more obedient this week than you were last week. Where is God challenging you? And you might be here today and say, man, I, I just don't think in terms of that. This message is meant for all of us. This, the, the, the wheels grind slowly today. This is more just family and us talking together. And I'm really trying to help you grow in your discipleship. So the issue here is not so much that we say a bunch of things, but that we do what God wants us to do, that we learn to love Him in adoration and we learn to obey Him. And if you're here this morning and you, you, you can't say, well, I, did, I don't know, you ought to be. God ought to be pressing into your life daily. That's wrong. You're doing that. You shouldn't do that. I don't want that. It doesn't glorify me. It doesn't honor me. I, I want you to take that out of your life. I'm better. I'm more glorious. I can replace all that's there. I'm more satisfying. I'm more enjoyable. There ought to be a place in your life where you would say right now, I'm stubborn or I'm arrogant or I'm this or this is what is dominating my life. I'm lazy. I'm this. I'm that. I treat others this way. I want my own way. There ought to be some in your life, right now in your own heart, where you ought to be able to say, yep, that's it, right there. That's where God's challenging me. I say that I'm a believer, but I have a complete lack of faithfulness to Him. Christianity ought to hurt a little bit. Do you know that? Because Christianity is all about growth in Christ's likeness, and growth hurts. Notice this. Notice the command is focused on the written Word of God. Do you see that at the end of verse number 1? All right? Our God did not just bring us about and then leave us to fend for ourselves. Neither is our God some sort of deluded, uh, so deluded that He's merely in everything. Last week we saw that God created everything and that all of creation testifies to His existence and His glory and His power. Yet He did not stop there. He went further. He communicated with all of His people with us through the written Word that we might have the knowledge of salvation and the knowledge of His character and that we might be conformed to the image of His dear Son. He gives us the Word of God so that we might love Him and serve Him. Would you just listen for a moment to what the Bible says about itself? Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both the joints and the marrow, and it's able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You see, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It cuts deeply into our lives. Not only is the Bible the sword, it is the flashlight. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
path. The Word of God should cut you. The Word of God should shine onto the way that you might walk fully into the life of Jesus. The Word of God is our manual for living. Romans 15 and verse number 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instructions so that through the perseverance and encouragement of the Scripture, we may have hope. The Word of God is our ID card. 1 John 5 and verse number 13, These things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What about Psalm 119 and verse number 50? This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. The arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do turn aside, I do not turn aside from your law. Now let me just take a moment and talk to you practically about this. I want to say something here about God's word and I, I want you to hear me. We speak a lot in this church about being doctrinally correct, and we should. We speak a lot in this church about studying the Bible, learning the Bible, inside and out, and we should. The Bible is God's inerrant, infallible Word. Every bit of it from Genesis to Revelation is inspired of God. It is God's Word. But I, I just want to make a plea for you. If we believe all of that about the Bible but you don't read it every day and try and apply it to your life. We're hypocrites. You see, the great end of preaching the Scripture is not for you to have a wealth of knowledge, although I want you to have that. What I want you to do is leave here and read a little bit of the Bible as often as you can and pray and say, Lord Jesus, Spirit of God, I'm going to live today to my utmost power with your help trying to obey what I have just read. Then you are to know everything that is in it. Let me dig just a moment. I, I, I really feel like you need to know this. and You would be better off to leave here today and go read the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that you will bless those who despitefully use you and you'll pray for your enemies. And then wake up every single day this week and spend a few minutes in prayer and say, Oh God, give me the power and the grace and the mercy to live that command to the very best of my ability all week. Then you would to enter a hundred Bible studies this week and never actually apply the Word. We love God, and we obey His Word. And in so much that we do that, we bring glory and honor to the One who is worthy. I have some more of the sermon, but I just, I feel like today, maybe uh, just sense in my soul, maybe the Lord would have us pause here. Because we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and there's time of reflection. Here's what I want you to know about that. This is a perfect segue into the Lord's Supper.
If you were to read the rest of the Old Testament, here's what you would find. Every time God gives that command, love me, follow me, they fail. And you fail. And I fail. But do you know the Bible says in the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And it says this of Jesus, I do always those things that please Him. Jesus never sinned. He never failed. He never came short of the glory of God. He did what we could not do. And what Jesus Christ does is He gives us a new heart and a new ability. And where we fail to love Him, where we come short of the glory of God in our obedience, we look to Jesus, we love Jesus, we follow Christ, and He alone can empower you by His saving mercy to love God and to obey Him. And maybe you're, maybe you're in this room today and you say, I've been living all my life serving myself, doing my own thing, and it's not good enough. I want to encourage you that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, And if you trust Him, He'll give you a new heart so that you can love God and obey His commandments. And I say to every believer in this room, we have the responsibility to glorify God, to honor Him, to praise Him. Even my brother Jamie would say this. I'm not shorting music. We worship God through music. We glorify God through music. But even if you talk to Jamie after the service, he would tell you, we don't so much glorify Christ through music or through preaching or through anything else as we do that when we leave here, we love Him and we're obedient to His Word. How's the last seven days been for you? Have you loved the Lord with all that's inside of you? And has that love spilled over into obeying His Word? You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.